All right. Um, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Unapologetic Black uh, Podcast. Speak to the mic. I am your host, Marlon Joseph. Um, I recently took a, uh, a spiritual and mental break from doing the podcast past a month or so with kind of making a transition with my new position in the IT field, as well as getting acclimated to uh, being a father to a three-year-old toddler, <laughs> right? So um, I'll be remiss to um, not bring up the fact that in the midst of that um, break that I, that I have taken uh, recently, we had lost two particular giants in the entertainment field as well as in our justice field. Uh, back in the end of August, we lost a very profound actor, uh, Chadwick Boseman, who was very much known for uh, leading, uh, as a leading actor for Black Panther, uh, Thur Thurgood Marshall's movie, uh, the Jackie Robinson story, the James Brown story, and many of countless other very much so uh, profound uh, movies that he had actually starred in. Uh, he and I share the same birthday and uh, he was one of my favorite actors and I definitely want to send my condolences to his wife um, and his, the rest of his family during the time of uh, their need and, and their grieving. Um, also, we lost a very, a very gigantic woman in the Supreme Court Justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who fought for equality from a, a woman's standpoint. Uh, she fought for the ability for women to have their names even put on credit cards, let alone being able to work in the corporate, uh, in corporate America. Also, uh, fighting for uh, the Roe versus Wade case that basically gives women the right to make those decisions for themselves as mothers or potential mothers bearing children. Um, she was a, a huge, profound voice in our Supreme Court justice for many, many years. Uh, she would definitely be, uh, be missed and condolences to her family as well. Now, without further ado, I want to introduce two uh, profound voices in our Black communities who are spiritual leaders in our Black community as well, doing their doing what they can from an evangelical standpoint. And I uh, definitely uh, greatly uh, appreciate them for being on the show today. And uh, just without further ado, I would like to introduce you to my personal pastor, first and foremost, Pastor Matthew L. Brown, who is the spiritual leader and teacher of Greater Community Church and God in Christ. And Pastor Jason Long, who also is a spiritual leader in the Chicago uh, area. Uh, and I forget the name of the church, uh, Jason? Yeah, Encounter Worship Center. Encounter Worship Center, all right. So if you are in those, in those particular areas, either here in Atlanta or in Chicago, definitely look to uh, attend their services, whether it be virtual or when the pandemic passes, you know, definitely come in physically to for that, for that word of prayer and worship. Um, gentlemen, without further ado, uh, thank you all for being on the show. Um, I greatly appreciate everything you guys are doing and um, just continue to pray for everyone during this these troubling times we're living in, as well as being able to be prayed for because even as spiritual leaders, you all are still men of God as well. And you know you can't just always pray for someone else and not be prayed for because you yourself also need that, you know, that, that prayer indeed. Um, 
definitely want to start off by asking some questions to you all regarding just what we're going through right now in these troubling times of in, in this in this pandemic in this crisis there's so much going on i don't even know how to even start this because i'm just so overwhelmed with everything that's been going on but uh, i want to start with you pastor brown um we are in a state of emergency right now and uh where god and our beliefs in him is more potent now than it's ever been but a lot of people have been asking the question with everything that's been going on with racism and injustices and the pandemic, where do we go from here? It, just in your spiritual you know, experience and, and just from your spiritual aspect, where can we go from here? Yeah. Uh, first of all, Marla, I want to say thank you for the invitation and thank you uh, for always um, having your finger on the pulse of sort of the social and emotional um, and civic life of um, our neighborhoods and our communities. And uh, I wanna celebrate you and your wife and, and the three-year-old, uh, have three-year-old grandson. So I know you got a daughter, so it's just amazing. Um, I, I wanna say to you that my initial, my initial answer to that question even though the question is layered in complexities. So, but my initial answer is for believers, um, I'm wearing a, a t-shirt that we did morning prayer on the grounds today. And it says, we be believers. It's a, it's a whole thing that, I could, that we put together and that we are just saying it greater because for, for believers of, in, of faith, the answer is we don't go anywhere. The answer is that we remain faithful. The answer is that we activate everything that we have heard, everything that we know, we anchor ourselves in truth, we anchor ourselves in the love of God, we anchor ourselves in the word of God, we anchor ourselves in the in, in as from a Pentecostal perspective, in the spirit of God, meaning relying upon the work of the Holy Spirit to do the work in the earth, where God is doing the work, where we partner with him. And then lastly, uh, anchoring ourselves in God's promise. Now, if the anchor <clears throat> is not there, then the question becomes, the answer is a different question. The, the answer is a different response. And that is, where do we go from here if I'm not anchored? Well, um, you're going to have to figure out what you are going to believe as truth. There are too many voices uh, that are in the earth right now and yeah. trying to navigate through the negativity is very difficult. So yeah. some people are going to have to get therapy. You're gonna to have to talk to someone. Some people are going to have to recommit their ties to their family. They're going to have to maximize minimalism. They're going to have to get pushed in this time where we're, where we're uncertain to uh, uh, to knowing what's essential, what matters most. And so once you answer those questions, you can determine how do you go forward? How do you go forward in your relationships? How do you go forward with your career? There's a, so that question you have is loaded. So yeah. for me, there's one response for believers. There's another response for people who are just trying to figure it out on a life on, a, you know, uh, 
what is it? We talk about being life by life. I talk about that all the time. When you get life by life, what do you do? And right now we're there. And I'm gonna close with this, is that um, one great thing that I would say to you uh, as a man of faith and um, is this, God is not shaken. He is not disturbed. He has not flinched. So if he has not flinched, then we need to really anchor ourselves in his word, in his security. Do now this is not this is not pie in the sky by and by. I'm not doing, yeah. I'm not doing that. I'm saying that we have responsibilities, and we can talk about that later. We have responsibilities of action for registration, for voting, for protesting where it is appropriate, for being active in all of those things. But when it comes to our soul, which we believe is our will, our emotions, and our intellect, when it comes to our soul, we're going to have to anchor that in the word of God. And if God doesn't flinch, then I won't flinch. And I'll watch him work out the process as I partner with him for the promise. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that, especially knowing that, like, like you said, to your point, there is a lot of misinformation and, and just falsehood that's being put out here so much to a point where that's been one of the most discouraging things, right? We don't know where the source of truth is. And, and from a, just from an earthly standpoint, but understanding that the source of truth lies within the spirit of God and his word, I think that that is something key to, to kind of zone in on, especially from a standpoint of knowing everything else is going to, things are going to always change, but God's word is going to stay stern and firm right then and there in the, in the anchor of things. So wh whether things, you know, flow like the wind, his word is still going to stand true to where, where it's always been. And that's from the beginning to the end. And uh, yeah, I do really appreciate that because Again, we, we're living in troubling times and it's just, everyone's looking for an answer to something, and if, if not the same answer. And the problem has been, it hasn't been the same answer. It hasn't been no consistency with trusting our leaders in, in certain positions of power, um, even, even trusting our own you know, companies that we work for too, because everyone has their own definitions of truth for themselves, but that nothing has been ham solid, nothing has been solidly consistent to where, okay, we can use that and build upon that. It's just everyone is pretty much trying to make it on their own whim without understanding that God is the one that we need to be leaning on more now than we ever did. And, uh, and I do appreciate that, uh, Pastor Brown. Uh, Jason, I want to ask you the same question, even from your standpoint, uh, being in Chicago, and obviously you and I, you know, we're from Chicago and we went to high school together, so we know exactly what's been going on in Chicago for years, but things have worsened in certain aspects of violence too, and on top of this pandemic that we're dealing with. So I just want to know overwhelmingly, what have you been seeing and, and what answers, or I guess what several answers have you been given to your congregation in regards to that question? Where do we go from here if we are going anywhere? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, first, let me say, uh, Marlon, thank you for this opportunity. Um, and thank you for being um, a channel uh, to be able to talk through these kinds of issues uh, and, and the things that are happening currently today. Uh, I know I appreciate you and I'm sure uh, uh, Bishop Brown as well appreciates you and all of your listeners for uh, what you're doing uh, to be a beacon of hope uh, and just to voice things out concerning what's happening for today. Uh, but to talk through that question, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, living in Chicago, um, 
there, there are different connotations that come with Chicago, right? You and I both know, coming from Chicago, some of the, um, the norms, if you will, of the city, some things that we might have grew up in, some things we might have grown up around. Uh, there is the, the actual culture of what we know, what we understand, what we've seen. Then there's what media puts out, right? Yep. So there's this whole uh, other idea that comes all the way from the top of the political arena down with what Chicago is like. Um, granted, some of it may be true and a lot of it and some of it is not. Um, and so, so many different pictures are painted. But from the perspective of a person who grew up, who was born and raised in Chicago, literally born in, um, born in Inglewood, which uh, for those in Chicago, you know, yep. we know that Inglewood is one of the roughest areas. Absolutely. Inglewood, uh, Inglewood survivor as well. Yep. Yes, sir. Yep. So, so growing up there in the heart of Inglewood and seeing different things, I understand a lot of the culture of the city. Um, I currently don't live in Inglewood, um, but, you know, I have family still that, that lives there. Uh, I travel back and forth there from time to time. I see that not only in Inglewood, but even beyond Inglewood, even uh, as, as things were kind of maybe a couple of months ago with the riots and things like that that were happening uh, as a result of uh, the different atrocities that were happening to Black people. Um, I got my first, the, the chance to witness firsthand what it was like to be in the midst of of, of rioters and looters, right? So, you know, we, we're, we're, we, we should protest as people. We, you know, protesting is biblical. Protesting, even from, uh, uh, um, uh, as Bishop was talking about, from a perspective of, if you will, the, 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 the charismatic church, or not even that, but the Protestant church. We are people who protested against uh, uh, the Catholic church, and we reformed. We were reformed into something different because of certain beliefs that we didn't necessarily believe or want to uphold, right? So protesting is good. It's great. And I feel like if we were to consistently do it, there is something in the voice of our people, especially, uh, that carries weight uh, that people will listen to if we remain fervent and consistent. Um, but beyond that, you have then those who uh, have taken the energy of what they feel and they express this energy through looting, through rioting, through vandalism. And while I understand the pain of what yeah. uh, certain people feel, because again, I'm a, I'm a black man. I have a, I have a son uh, who is obviously black. Uh, I have daughters, right? We talk about, you know, Breonna Taylor. I have daughters. We have all, I, as a black family, I feel the pain of what's happening with our people. Um, but what I've come to realize from a spiritual perspective is that sometimes we, we take this pain and we don't know what to do with the energy of it, right? So I equate it to lightning. Lightning uh, is, is this energy source, right? This big combusted energy source that just goes in whatever direction it decides to go in and it uses the wind and it uses the environment to just go and to move and to do. But all of this energy, if it doesn't have a channel, if it doesn't have a conduit, if it doesn't have a place, it's energy that can be damaging, right? So as a people, what we need to do is take all of this energy and stop allowing the, the external forces of, this ener of our energy, our feelings, our emotions to, to be led by the external forces. And we need to find that channel, find that, that lane, if you will, and from a spiritual place, 
for me, that lane is Jesus Christ, right? So if we take what we feel, if we take what we we're going through and we allow our energy and our emotions to be channeled the right way and channeled properly, what will happen is that the right channel will eventually lead to change. If we just go off of what we feel and just go off a of raw emotion, we can yeah. actually do more harm and more damage uh, than, than what has already been done. So I just wanted to give that expression from the perspective of uh, being in the middle of dealing with with uh, the, the things that are happening in Chicago. And that's just one perspective of, you know, uh, uh, looting and rioting and, and that. But at the same time, we look across the U.S. and we just see that uh, our people are in pain. Yep. And we have so much going on. I believe that what God is attempting to do, uh, he, Paul talked about it in Romans 8 and 28. He says how, he, how God works all things together for the good, right? So even though we feel the pain and the pressure, we're dealing with the difficulty, we're handling the hardship, through all of this, God's entire plan is to find a way for this to lead to something that causes us to see good in the end. And so uh, uh, as Bishop was talking about, uh, uh, we, we, we have to understand that, that God is unwavering, unchanging. He's not gonna, you know, he knows the, the, the end from the beginning. God is solid. We have to then take what's happening within us and we have to ensure that we are refocusing and redirecting our attention to the right channel, which is Jesus Christ. And it allows us to then listen to the Lord, get instruction, and then become change agents to the things that we currently see happening in the world around us. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a, my God, that is a profound perspective to bring to this because I know for me personally, I've been overwhelmed with what's been going on. I mean, obviously I can speak to my own personal, my own personal blessings, right? Being able to be a, be a father to a healthy, healthy daughter, be a husband, um, be a homeowner and still, and, and be able to still have a job even in the midst of times where so many millions of people have lost their jobs. And then we're being disproportionately affected by this pandemic dying from it at a disproportionate rate and then having all these riots and protests break out in the wake of some of our own black brothers and sisters in our communities being killed at the hands of law enforcement. It's it just been so many of those things from the outside, just from a macro perspective, I can look at and say, okay, I didn't personally be affected by it, but internally I'm, I'm affected by it because I look just like them. They look just like me. It could have been me. It could have been anybody that I know or didn't know for that matter. And so from that perspective, it's been overwhelming to see every single day I wake up that something new is happening to us. And in the midst of it, we're still finding ways to still battle back in the, in the right ways and in the, in the most po not always in the most positive ways, because my first reaction is not always the best reaction to, to these different things that I've been seeing. So I'm just, I'm just enraged. I'm angered. I'm hurt. It's, it's depressing to see that all we're asking for, just from one instance, is that law enforcement just stop killing us. That's it. Like, and the fact that it's so, so much uproar about this, like, no, but no, there is no but to that. There is no negotiating that. If you're going to sit here and have this same energy for being uh, for treating us like vigilantes and criminals every single time you see one of us or encounter one of us, do that same thing to the rest of those who are in other races who don't look like you as well. Like, don't just treat us in an in a, in a exclusive uh, box or keep us in an exclusive box versus everyone else that you come encounter with and then say that we're the ones who are the criminals who are retaliating or fighting back. 
You can't call a lamb a, a, a killer for fighting a wolf to prevent that wolf to not eat him. It, the wolf is going to be who the wolf is. It's trying to eat, and it's trying to eat the lamb. The lamb is trying to survive. So us fighting back is, is if you want to call it retaliation, that's fine. But don't sit up and tell us that we're, we're the ones who are initiators. We're trying to fight a system that has never been in place for us to begin with. It never included us. And so and to, to say we won't reform, I, I'm I honestly, in my heart of hearts, I don't, I don't want reform because reform will, will simply imply that the system that's in place did include us, but it needs some tweaking and modifications too. No, no, we need to completely undo this form and add, uh, just bring in a new form, build a new form that will include us in it as well. And even from the pandemic perspective, it's being disproportionately affected by this virus that, and, and again, I wanna make sure I'm clear about this on this show. Now, I'm not, all, I'm not ever here to shame anyone individually when it comes to levels of responsibility that each, each and every one of us have when it comes to dealing with things within our, within our control. But having the commander in chief I don't know what else to call him right now. Obviously, I would be wrong to call him anything else but a child of God. And on this show, I've been very unapologetic, uncensored, and unfiltered about my feelings about where we're going just from a country-wide perspective. But I, I would make sure, I'm going to make sure I refrain myself from using such language on this show because I have so much respect for these two Black men on this show who are doing wonderful things in the community from a from a spiritual aspect, being, uh, being uh, evangelicals and being just overall spiritual and not necessarily religious because you, we know the difference between being religious and being spiritual. But I wanna make sure that I'm very clear about my feelings personally about it as it pertains to what direction we are going. But understanding too that God is stern and firm on his word and we have to stay true to that. But I want to say to you, because this leads to my next question, uh, Pastor Brown, because religion has been politicized entirely too much, just like everything else, but more now than it's ever been, with all these clergymen and women going around our president, speaking, speaking prophetic words to him, or uh, I'm not going to cast any aspersions on them and say that it's not prophetic. I'm not going to say that it was, you know, it's, there are false idols. Obviously, the Bible talks about that. But I want to speak to exactly what's been uh, going on in the, in the, I hate to even culturally divide this, but in black and white churches. So I recently saw a video of Kurt Franklin and a few other uh, just spiritual leaders, if you will, who were talking about how they were trying to come together with having black and white church uh, clergymen coming together, have a meeting, discuss these very issues that we're going through from a systemic and institutional racism perspective, right? Because we can't be true believers and then also not be in the communities, obviously practicing what we've been preached. We can't say we're, child, we're a child of God and we believe in God, but then do ungodly things such as condemning those who don't look like us. And, and keeping us from being on an equally uh, equal playing field. So from that perspective, Pastor Brown, I want to know from you, 
if you can even divulge any of this information or, uh, verbatim, exactly what has been the talks when it comes to just from the Church of God in Christ alone to other denominations, preferably in the white community, when it comes to dealing with these core issues that's been issues for entirely too long? Um, uh, wow. <laughs> Man, you, you don't ask any simple questions on this show. No, I, I, so, I'm not going yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, that's good. They, they, they are loaded, good. and I apologize for them being loaded. No, but I obviously, logical and emotions are being sure. combined. Yeah, I, I want to unpack uh, a couple of things. First of all, um, I, I think what um, Pastor Jason said was uh, just spot on. And I want to sort of... I want to move back into your question by by uh, dovetailing something that he made mention of. Um, and while I agree with the whole concept that, first of all, historically, this nation was founded with protest. Um, so the, the, to, even the, ar the argument of protest is really just illogical. Marlon, what you're talking about is the hypocrisy of um, this. When you say the only thing we're asking is don't kill us. So let me share with you. Um, I preached a sermon last Sunday called Being 13, and I literally unpacked Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, the way white evangelicals tend to interpret that text, that, that makes it like all, subject, all, all authorities of God and those people that are in authority, that's God's will, and then we turn around and say that this current president is God's will, but those same white evangelicals, not all of them, but a majority of them made the point that um, a black president was not the will of God. So, so the problem here is the hypocrisy in the evangelical denomination or category of Christianity that uh, I am proposing, and this is me, not you, not Jason, not anybody else, this is my stuff. I am proposing they have replaced Christianity with Americanism. So um, there is a level of politics that has become their gospel. Now, once, so once, as, as much as that hurts, uh, I, I'm gonna tell you that there's some hope at the end. So let me just keep diving. So I did the piece on um, uh, Romans 13. And so I did three things of 13, Romans 13. Then I did the 13th amendment of the United States constitution. And then I talked about acting like a 13 year old, right? So um, in that context, the 13th Amendment of the United States abolishes slavery, except, listen to the wording, except for punishment for crimes. So there's a problem here because, right, there's the prison piece. The problem here is that um, there is some question whether or not the 13th Amendment really is the uh, abolition or the abolishment of slavery because slavery was never even brought into the Constitution. So now there's an amendment to the Constitution amending something that is not even in the Constitution. Slavery is not named in the Constitution. So the 13th Amendment abolishes something that was never named, but this is what it says, but for punishment for crimes, which, in, which introduces in, in 1865, I think that's when it was, which introduces the whole concept of prisons, right? So now blackness and poverty, and I want to say that to, to both of them, blackness and poverty are now criminalized. Being black is criminal offense. Being poor 
is a criminal offense. And so while we don't have slavery because that looks wrong on the optics, we've created a pipeline, a prison industrial complex, right? So when you say, how come they just won't stop killing us? It's because since the time of 1619, they, meaning a, a superior culture, a power, a power clan, never and still today don't see black people, brown people, and poor people. And I got to talk about poor people because white folk are in that too, right? Absolutely. They do not see poor people. So now that I've defined what poor is, I'm throwing all of us in there. They don't define, they don't see poor people as even human. And so now it's, it's an issue of, it's an issue of power. So when you say, why won't they? It's because First of all, they don't even have any consciousness of that. The second piece, what is the response of, going, of poor people? It was what Martin tried to do with his march on, with his protest on March on Washington, is to try to state the case, right? And I definitely agree with Jason when he's talking about lightning and how we're just going everywhere, but I want to lift up a portion of scripture while he was saying it that hit me, was this. Jesus is on a boat sleep. He's in a storm. The, the, the disciples get nervous. They wake him up. Don't you care if we perish? He gets up and says, oh, ye of little faith, meaning I've already given you everything you need to handle this situation. You're just not handling it. You're getting caught up in a storm instead of handling the storm. So then he goes and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And then they say, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him, right? So here's the MLB translation. The MLB translation is Jesus is saying, I don't have a storm going on inside of me. So I am not going to live in somebody else's storm. So if it's not going on inside of me, I promise you, I'm not dealing with that outside of me. So he made inside of him uh, react to what was going on the outside of him. So his outside could look like his inside. Yeah. Here's our problem, Marlon as a people, black folk particularly, we do not think systematically. We're in a system that is against us. And you said it right. We're leveraged against the system. And then we have people who've grown up in a culture that, that simply say, this is just the way life goes, right? You've got a president that fans that flame because it comes from this system. So if we're going to do anything, it can't be, and I'm in Atlanta, and I know the whole, I know the issues of Chicago, but it can't be burning down Wendy's, burning up police precincts, blah, 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 blah. And even, and I clearly understand what they mean by defunding the police, but that's the dumbest phrase they could have ever come out. I'm putting my political hat on now. Yeah. You don't say that if you're going to think systematically, right? I know what you mean, but we're so angry. We're the lightning that goes everywhere because there's no peace in us. So now let me back into your question. I wish that Kurt Franklin and others could have been with me when this whole George Floyd piece jumped off and a couple of other things that was happening, Ahmaud Aubrey, really, that was the thing yeah. for us locally here in Georgia. Because I then called my friends in Buffalo, because I'm from Buffalo, New York. I called my white uh, brothers uh, from in Buffalo and I said, I gotta talk because if I don't talk with my audience, I'll go public and then I'll become something that I'm not. Because at the end of the day, I still have to lead. Right. So I can get as mad as I want, but somewhere I got to, like Jason said, I got to channel that, that lightning. So 
um, I talked to them. Then it wasn't lifting for me, Marlon. So you know what I did? I picked up the phone and started calling white evangelical pastors here in this area. And you know, and when you know what happened? Called him, called a, um, a wonderful guy by the uh, Pastor Ike um, from Piedmont Church and uh, uh, council member uh, Reggie um, Copeland. And then the council member, the priest, the pastor, and the white pastor with his friends, we all met. Do you realize that uh, uh, it, it's in our film clips, but uh, the Channel 2 News, they heard about the meeting, came, and I thought they were just going to do the B-roll, you know, oh, white, you know, we're going to talk it out. Bruh, they stayed for the whole two-hour session and taped it. So we actually had these conversations. So I do want to say to you that this is really happening all across the country. The problem is all the good stuff that's happening never makes it to the mainstream media. So there, and in and, and the same way, I don't want all white people um, broad stroking and broad brushing all black folk. I am yeah. not going to broad brush all white people. So yeah, all me. black yeah. people aren't criminals. All white folk ain't, you know, crooked, you know, yeah. you know, or racist, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So these things are happening, but they're happening in pockets and they're happening. I would suggest this. I would submit and I'm done. I would suggest that they are happening the way they should be happening organically. Because our problem is we always want to, we always want to react to stuff. So that's, the, that, that's where, you know, even in our, our church uh, Sunday with Global World Youth Day, we actually had our young people signing up the people that are on the on the grounds in our outdoor service and on our uh, on the stream. You know why? Because you got to extend the protest to the ballot box. That's thinking systematically. So if we really want to do something, we need to start educating poor people on how to respond systematically, and then we'll have a place at the table. Sorry, sorry for the long answer. No, 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 bro, no. I, no was, I it was all that stuff. I, I you appreciate it. <laughs> I, I appreciate every single word of that rebuttal because we, that's needed. We need to know these different things. Obviously, to that point, with with the whole idea about just protesting in general, there is no such thing as a pleasant protest in the sense of it's the whole premise behind protesting is to make the comfortable uncomfortable because the current uncomfortable group of people see something that's bothering them and that's hurting and hindering them from just progressing on in life. And the comfortable has been reaping the benefits of that uncomfortable group of people. And so in order for it to be an equal playing field, we have to fight for what's right. And obviously, to your point about just even the slave codes and how policing was even initially initiated in this world or in this country, it started in the South. It started with them policing slaves who drifted off too far away from their plantation and, be, and being found, okay, well, you're, you're entirely too far away from the house uh, and, the, and the master who owns you. Why are you this far out? And so... It uh, eventually came down to it, it, it trickled down to Jim Crow and, uh, and being able to to obviously vote in that particular matter. But I feel like we we as a people, particularly black people, have to understand that we do have power in our voices when it comes to voting. To your point about voting, and to to hear so many people saying idiotic things about well both of these candidates are idiots and I'm not going to vote at all. I'm going to pass up on this. You have to understand you shouldn't be voting 
for a person, but voting for a purpose and voting for your own personal uh, agenda or the things that you're looking to gain within that candidate, not the candidate themselves. And so understanding that there have been many, many lives, and I know oftentimes people always want to review it and, and basically argue this point about many of our ancestors died to be able to be in a position that we're in to vote. And we're going to sit up here and sit back and not have any fight over it at all. And my personal opinion, if you're not going to vote, you have no business even talking or complaining. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to hear nothing you have to say because what you have to say doesn't hold any merit to the, to the situation that we're currently dealing with. If you're not going to put your voice into action, if he's not going to do that, then you have no business even talking at all. But we have so many opinions. And personally, I don't feel like everyone deserves an opinion because opinions are somewhat based on some facts. You form an opinion based on the facts that you know. And as the facts change, so should your opinion about it. But everyone doesn't, doesn't think that way. And I have to, me personally, I have to be okay and understanding that everyone is not going to think that way. But Jason, I want to know from you, just your interactions with evangelicals who are white or are of the, you know, the opposite race of us, you know, and just understanding that but far too long, it's been so many of, of those white evangelicals reaping the benefits of, you know, living in those, you know, real nice neighborhoods and obviously saying that they're good Christian people. And, and I, my philosophy is everyone is a nice person until it requires you to be a nice person. When you're put in a position to actually do for others and you don't, that's when you're shown who you really are in, in those particular situations. So, so for so many years, we've seen so many of these righteous sacrilegious people out here saying oh they're the child of god they, they believe in god and believe in jesus christ but yet you're not practicing what you preach and what you believe and and we're seeing the the the, the end results of that and so from your perspective i want to know just exactly dealing with other cultures from a spiritual standpoint what have you been hearing and seeing uh just in your own personal experience yes sir um, just to, to backtrack a little bit to what you mentioned about this, um, this idea of righteousness that's, that's spoken and that's uh, displayed, but not actually fully revealed through action. Um, you know, the Bible says that you'll know them by their fruit, right? Um, and so in order to, to determine whether or not a person uh, believes a thing that they actually say, you have to wait until that fruit manifests because the fruit will determine the root. In other words, the fruit will determine what they believe, what they're planted in, uh, what their foundation actually is. Based on not just what you say, but literally what comes from uh, uh, your life will, will be the, 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 the factor that helps us to determine exactly whether or not you believe what you say. Um, there is a, there's a lot of talk there's a lot of righteous talk. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff going around, uh, specifically if we're, since, because we're on the subject of, uh, you know, white evangelicals, et cetera. And again, just as a disclaimer, I don't, again, I don't pull everybody into one bucket, you know, into yeah. one place and say that one group of people is this because of, you know, a certain whatever. Yeah. Uh, but specific to uh, the, the white evangelical movement, church, however you want to, kind of call it, there is, um, there is a lot that has not been said that is concerning to me. There has been, uh, of course, there have been conversations. 
There have been uh, meetings, there have been, you know, things that have been televised, broadcast, put on YouTube, put on social media, et cetera. Uh, but two, I think that beyond the bigger things that have been projected, uh, speaking to what Bishop Brown talked about, there have been a lot of local kind of grassroots kind of uh, more intimate things that have, that have happened as far as conversations that have been had that I believe that if more of them are had and if they are had in a way that, that are effective, they can affect the broader scope, right? So, um, think about this and we're going to pair that idea with the whole talk of of, of the systematic mindset uh because the the discussion uh bishop was that you, you you mentioned that we aren't thinking systematically right we're thinking out of emotion we're thinking out of you know what we feel what's going on and and to think systematically means to also think long term so if we want to be able to tackle the broader bigger picture we have to start on the small level now for us us we're we want the big but because we want the big we think that the way to get the big is to go after the big but the way to get the big the way to sit at the table the way to you know be in these power positions is to start small right despise not the day of small beginnings is what the bible talks about right so let's think little for a second right we're always thinking big 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 let's think little jesus was at the the the, the shore of the sea and the bible says that there was was a multitude of people four or five thousand people that were hungry right they, and they were you know they they were hungry in other words they had a need jesus being with his disciples uh the disciples said hey jesus all right you're the miracle worker let's feed these people how are we gonna do it you know uh he's like bring me the fish and the loaves you know the bible says they brought him to him a couple you know fish loaves whatever just not enough to feed the people um the bible says jesus blessed the bread he broke it then he gave it to his disciples to disperse it. But in the middle of that, like that's the story we know, but in the middle of this thing that was happening where Jesus was trying to feed the bigger picture, the 5,000, the Bible says that he told them to all sit down and to group themselves, right? I think it was 50s or hundreds or something. So the people, the crowd, they grouped themselves into smaller factions. And that gave the disciples the opportunity to serve on a smaller level to feed the bigger picture. Now, what's been happening is that we've been trying to feed the bigger picture with the big crowd. The big crowd is 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 boisterous, is noisy. There's no order. There is there is everything is in disarray. And until we bring systematic order on a small level to what we're trying to achieve, we won't be able to feed the bigger picture. So we have to understand that the local leads to the lot, right? The little leads to the lot. If we start doing the work, even if we don't have a name, even if we're not publicized, even if we're not, you know, if the lights are not shining bright, in my home, these are conversations we have. If we do it in the home and we have the conversations in the home, what will happen is eventually it's gonna spill over into something else. If enough of these conversations are happening on a small level, it's going to lead to a bigger pool. The, the, the pond will become a lake. So uh, uh, the conversations I believe have been happening. I believe that be, but with those conversations, there has to be intent. Like there has to be the systematic thinking that Bishop talked about that if we're going to tackle the big thing, let's start with a little, let's have these conversations on a smaller scale and let's collectively begin to connect these dots together so that we can handle the whole system because we can't, we can't change the laws 
from the perspective of you know the, the federal government or from, from the perspective of the presidency. Yeah. We can't do that in that way. We have to learn how to tackle the, the tiny things and in that allow those tiny things to, to infiltrate the bigger picture, if that makes any sense. Right, that makes plenty of sense, man, because I, I, me personally, I do feel like, and I, I'm a product of this. I, I, I do react initially off emotion. I'm a very emotionally driven person because I feel so emotionally attached to a lot of different situations that's happening to us because I know for me personally, I, those things could ultimately happen to me. I'm not wishing that it will, but I'm, I'm only praying and hoping that it don't. But that's me also being sympathetic to those who have ha who've happened, who it, who it has happened to. And so um, even from a standpoint, from a systemic and institutional racism perspective, dealing with law enforcement, I'm 6'4", 230 pounds. The average police officer is probably 5'10", 5'11", in my, in my county. The fact that he has to look up at me, I'm already a threat to him even if I don't even, even pose one. And that, that inferior mindset is oftentimes deflected on, off him and onto us. Now we're only in fear uh, in talks with police, regardless of whether we did something wrong or not. And we're gonna always be looked at as wrong. That's gonna always put us in a situation where, you know what, my, my first mind is, I just have to make it home. I just wanna make it home safe. Uh, you're gonna, if I was speeding, give me a citation, whatever, let me just leave. And obviously we, we do have to do better in doing our due diligence to make sure we're teaching our young people how to be respectful to law enforcement and obviously hoping that that respect will be then of course given back to us. But from a systemic and institutional racism perspective, I, I would be remiss to not bring up the facts that, like I brought up earlier, the system was never designed for us. So in order for us to be included, I know initially my, like I said, I'm reactive in, 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 the, in regards to emotions. And I feel like anyone who is strategically moving with no emotions attached to it, then you're, you're without a moral compass because you don't understand exactly, okay, everything that's a right don't mean it's right. And so from that perspective, putting some kind of emotional and moral encompasses into that thought and saying, you know what? I'm doing this not because I'm politically driven. I'm doing this because this is the right thing to do. That, of course, will lead to a lot more things being done, whether it be local and even on a grander level. And so we oftentimes always preaching about vote, vote, vote when it comes to the presidential election. But to your point, we, we had to start looking at these governors, these mayors, these congressmen, these aldermen in certain, in certain instances in certain cities and states that have aldermen. We have to look at our low-level political, uh, politi politically driven people who are in these lawmaking positions to make things happen for us locally. And once we're able to fully evaluate what their agenda, what their agendas are, then we can make the proper proper moves and make sure the right people are in place to make sure that the on the grander level everyone's agenda is being addressed respectively, and that things like racism is not going to be an issue because racism is ultimately inevitable because it's not necessarily about the policy, but it's about the people. People are going to still have that, that racial or, or that, that superiority, if you will, in their own minds and in their own hearts. They're going to always feel like that. And it's not to say that people can't change, but I'm, I, for one, am a, and the type of person who I believe a person who they are. 
And we've seen certain situations happen where a lot of racist people are reactive to them being called out on it. Oh, I'm sorry I'm for this and that. No, that's who you are. You, you, you meant that because you've done and said that on a number of occasions. And I, I, I'm not the person to apologize for what I say, but I apologize for how I say things because my, my delivery is not always there. And so, you know, we always in the black community, we always talk about God still working on me. He, he's still working on that. I'm still a work in progress, but I am working towards building upon being better at that because I know I have to, but not just for myself, but obviously being a being a person in this position, I, I want to be able to articulate my words in such a way that it is productive. And the whole premise behind this podcast is because I understand that I don't have all the answers, but I'm, I'm willing to sit down and talk to those who are in these particular areas of need that we obviously as black people can come together collectively and build upon and be monolithic in such a way that we're being productive citizens in our communities, regardless of what city or state that you live in. But bringing that awareness, is, it's not enough. And we are having, we are seeing more talks come up. We're seeing more, more groups having these different discussions, but it would be wrong for me to say that the, the, the groups that have oppressed us Need, needs to be included in these situations too, because we need to hear from them more about what it is they're doing. Don't sympathize with me and tell me, oh, I'm sorry this is happening to you, but you're not willing to do anything about it. If you're not willing to put your privilege and your racist rhetoric and beliefs in the question against your own people, then why should I even believe anything about your, you, you even with your sympathy? I, I can't take your sympathy for face value if you're not willing to put any actions to it. And so for me and other people that, that feel that same way, I understand it from that standpoint of we need them incorporated in this matter to even bring forth some type of positive change throughout all of this. Because we've been fighting the same three fights since we've been here. Fighting to be humans, fighting to, to be black, and fighting to even have a voice. Fighting to even just be, just be. Fighting to be equal. We've been having these same three fights all along, and we're still fighting this. When Dr. King protested in March, you didn't like it. When Malcolm did it, you didn't like it. You killed them both, and yet we're supposed to just sit back and just, just take what you're giving us? No, we're going to keep fighting. And obviously, there's more ways to get into a house in the front door. But I understand that that fight can mean a multitude of things. It don't mean just physically fighting necessarily, but it also means fighting the system from within. And it's gonna take more of us to be in the system to fight within the system. So in, in my in one of my previous episodes, I talked to a friend of mine, you remember Alex, who we went to high school with, Jason, she's a police officer in, in Chicago. And she brought up a very profound point about the main reason why she went into law enforcement is to fight within the system exactly what's been hindering us as a black community all along and understanding that a lot of these a lot of these things is trickling down to the bottom is coming from the higher ups the the, the brass and the mayors and and, uh, and aldermen they're the ones bringing those orders down to the police officers who are the foot soldiers in these communities telling them to do these things and, and commit these heinous crimes against their own community or even in other communities that don't even look like them and then so happen to throw them under the bus when things come to play and in the court of public opinion Everyone lashes out and say, oh, look at this. This police officer did this and that X, Y, and Z. Now the mayor's saying, you know, I got to fire you. But you're firing me for doing what you told me to do. That makes entirely no sense. 
And so you're basically covering your own behind only to throw somebody else's behind on the bus and you just watch them get ran over. And that's very unfair when you think about it in the, in the interest of fairness and justice, we need more of black judges, black police officers, black plaintiffs, black uh, prosecutors, if you will, black, well, I won't even say black attorney generals because we have one in, in the state of Louisville, uh, in the state of Kentucky, who obviously, he's, he's, he's pushing the wrong agenda. And we are already seeing the results of that with the Breonna Taylor uh, case. The fact that he hasn't presented all the evidence to the grand jury, but only the evidence he wants to present. So it, it basically swayed them to not prosecute the other two officers, but prosecute one for wanton endangerment. I had to look that charge up because I never heard of it in, in a day in my life, anywhere. And it's equivalent to a person going deer hunt without a license. Wow, are, are you kidding me? Like seriously, this woman, 26 year old EMT worker, sacrificed her life every single day, even during, in the midst of this pandemic before she died, to only die at the hands of law enforcement, claiming that they knocked and, and announced themselves. But it's funny you say that because your state at the time was a no not warrant state. So why are you knocking if you don't have to? One, one witness said that they saw and heard the police announced themselves as they were beating down that person's door. 12 other witnesses said they didn't see or hear them say that. But you only took that one witness to say, oh, we're going to present that to the grand jury and say, okay, it was justified. If you're beating down my door, chances are you might have some bullets flying to you unannounced. As a man, as a black man protecting his family, I have every right to, especially in the state of Georgia where this is a, a gun-toting, gun-happy state. I have every right to protect my family. If you're banging on my door, threatening, but not announcing yourself as to who you are and what, what's your reason for being here, you own my property. Now, you want to sit up here and call me a thug, call me a criminal because I'm defending my family? Her boyfriend didn't even get a chance to even talk to the grand jury. You can't tell me that that's in the interest of fairness and justice when you have Daniel Cameron, who, yet again, I want to make sure I'm clear about this, is not to cast any aspersions, but I'm merely stating the facts. Daniel Cameron presented what he wanted to present, the fact that he is, he is in the running for a Supreme Court justice, the fact that he had Mitch McConnell at his wedding, not going to even talk about who he's married to, that, that's, not, that's neither here nor there. Point is, you have been on the wrong side of history for quite a long time. And this is not about Democrats and Republicans, because we can point out rights and wrongs on both ends. But it's about, in the interest of fairness and justice, the evidence that's presented to you, right in front of you, you see this is wrong. And yet you, you did nothing to even help this family. But you think that $12 million settlement is, is supposed to be something that they should just take and deal with? When it's speculation that it was contingent upon those other two police officers possibly getting trial and getting prosecuted if they did or didn't take the money. I think that's wrong. I think that's unfair and it's wrong in so many different levels. And obviously from a, from a spiritual standpoint, it makes you think, okay, and I've had people say this to me a, a few times before, it's like, how can God allow this to happen knowing how unfair this was? She didn't deserve to die, and she didn't deserve to die like that. That was unfair and just flat out wrong, to say the least.
Because I, I can say, I can call it a lot more than that, but I won't. And so leading to my other question about just how politicized, again, religion has become. Pastor Brown, would you say religion has become more politicized in recent years than it's ever been? Or is it about the same? What, what's your take on that? Oh, um, I have a bad habit of kind of thinking historically. Um, no, we, we need historians. We, yeah. we need that history. If, if I do it from a Christian perspective, particularly sort of a Western Christianity, and look at the way the Bible, um, how all of that stuff happened, this sort of biblical history, um, religion and politics have always been together. They, they have never... I mean, matter of fact, they were like, they were created together. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, the story of Jesus is a story <laughs> of salvation and, um, and politics. So the deal is, here's three magi <laughs> looking for the new king. And the, the, the king sitting on the throne saying, what you talking about? I'm the king. So let's kill <laughs> what... Let's kill whatever you came to find. Let me know so I can come worship him too because I'm going to rub him out. Then, because he couldn't get him, now Jesus as an infant is a fugitive and a refugee, homeless, <laughs> broke, except for an offering that came from the Magi, which was some gold, you know, and all of that is prophetic. So here's the gold for the king. Here is myrrh for the suffering servant, you know, and here's frankincense for the priest to make the atonement. But otherwise, you homeless. You you ain't got you ain't got a pot to pee in and a ten cent one to throw it out of. So not only are you homeless, you're broke, you're poor, um, you're in, watch this, you're the you're the you're the child to a teenage unwed mom. Sounds like Chicago. Sounds like, sounds like Atlanta. Yep. Sounds like, come on, it, it sounds like urban. So religion has come with politics. It, and it's never been separate. Now, your point is the difference. We thought we were moving to civility. You know, I think we were okay with 11 o'clock Sunday morning being the most segregated hour in America. You know, we're predominantly white people and you know others everybody goes to your corner and you do your thing and there are spot there are pots there's spots where we kind of integrate but um i think and this is again my personal opinion so i'm not i'm not casting dispersions on casting aspersions on anybody yeah. but um i think that what has happened recently uh with the rise of the current president has really I mean, this is hypocrisy like I've never seen it in my life. So th this is, this ain't, this is not even being nasty, nice, nasty at the same time. This is just being straight up cutthroat. Ugly. Bottom line, this is the way this is gonna be. And then for me to see people that I've been in these massive, uh, fellowships and stadiums and black folk washing white folk feet and white folk washing black folks feet and promise keepers and all the stuff we've done on reconciliation seemingly gets set to the side 
Because again, in my opinion, Americanism is the new religion. It is not about, it is not about a relationship with God. This ain't about, and because see, my whole problem is there's a hole in the gospel. There's a wonderful book written called about the hole in the gospel. The problem is, is that if Jesus says, love your, um, love, love your neighbors as, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and then uh, love your neighbors uh, as, as yourself. So he, he's saying, you're going to love you and then love them like you love you. And we never get to that part. We only get to loving you. We never get to loving them. We never show that piece. So when your your question is, is religion more politicized? I would say that um, for the times in which we live, it is just really, really. And then, you know, I, I hate to say this, and I've and, and we've prayed this morning. We've been praying for the president and, and so that, but that whole piece on clearing out peaceful protesters and walking in front of a church and holding the he Bible upside held down. The Bible up. You know, he didn't that, open that the Bible, kind of, Pastor. He didn't open it. He held Listen, listen. He when he when they ask him, you know, to me he reads the Bible like some like a uh, like a comedian in at, at the improv. You know, two Corinthians walk into a bar. <laughs> like what? I'm trying not to laugh. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do a quick impression of him when he was when he was asked about the Bible. The Bible is a special book to me. I, I read it a lot. I know a little bit, but I know enough about it. And, and, and I don't, don't want to talk about what's my favorite, uh, my favorite book in the Bible. It's, it's, and it was like, okay, well, are you Old Testament, New Testament? I'm a little bit of both. You know, I'm just, you know, right. I, the Bible is a very sacred, tremendous book. You are funny, Everybody, Marley. It, it, everyone That's loves hilarious. it. hilarious. Everyone, listen, when you see them enough, you, you, you start to mimic the very yeah. things that say and do. If he says tremendous one more time, Pastor, I'm going to lose it. Like, do you not have right. any other adjectives in your in your vocabulary? Tremendous is everything. Even when you're talking about something bad, it's tremendous. Really? Yeah, like, well, it, it, at least he's going to get past the Yoshimite. Yeah, now he's going to get past the Yoshimite. Anyway, my, my point is, to answer your question, I, I think that it's been inflamed, and um, and it's to our detriment. And, and, and really, to be honest with you, um, I said to my, my, my white evangelical and pastoring friends that tomorrow you don't have to preach a gospel of social justice. Tomorrow you'll never raise the point of buying Breonna Taylor's family off for 12 million. So when they, when they did the deal, I knew what was gonna happen. Once the money came, it was over. So again, systematically, Black people just need to understand that uh, Louisville and the state of Kentucky and all of those backers decided that her life was worth 12 million. Take the cash and run because we're going to hold on to our power. Power concedes nothing without demand. So there, so that, that's, that, that's kind of that piece. So is it more political? I think it's, it is, um, it's always been political. And at this, at this juncture, there's nothing really, oh, this is the, I want to finish this one thought. So I told him, you're not, you're not going to have to do it, but I have to go back and teach my, and teach the people that I lead and influence how to walk out grace while living in offense. You don't have that problem. Now, when you can master preaching like that, that's what that, now that is a whole nother podcast. It is the state of the black believer 
living in a Western Christian, Christian world that has replaced its gospel for Americanism. And then what do we do is we wind up walking out grace because here's the problem. We're not systemic. We have no power. So I have to go and tell, I have to go and tell our folk, and you notice Marlon, I tell them, don't take this to work tomorrow. Don't do this. Don't even have the discussion because you are the employee. You're going to get fired. You're going to be written up. So right now we got to, you got to do what our ancestors did. And unfortunately, nothing's changed since 19, since 1619. Now, you know, we're not, we're not in Egyptian slavery, but we're in Babylonian slavery. Yeah. So Babylonian slavery, they could have businesses, they could own their own homes, they could marry, blah, 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 but they couldn't go nowhere. They were still slaves. It was just a better version. Egyptian slavery was just horrible, right? Whoa. So the 1619 thing is horrible. Move to 1968, things are a little better. Move to 2020, things are better in terms of you owning your home, us doing this thing, having this conversation. But at the end of the day, we can't put a stop sign at the end of a bad intersection that will kill our children because we have no legislative power, yeah. which messes us up because we supposedly got all the spiritual power, which messes the unbeliever up to say, well, how in the world can y'all keep praying and you have all the spiritual power, but you got no power to change nothing. Then we ma it makes it bad on, it makes God look bad because we're saying that God is inept and he isn't. It's just the fact that we have not learned how to manage the system we're in. So is religion politicized? Yeah, it is, but it's always been. So ain't nothing changed. Yeah, so that's my and, answer. And even to that point, right? So to bring up a point you brought about, well, now we're living in a time where more than ever, Blacks are actually being asked more of those questions. What can we do? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question because it took a whole pandemic to sit us still, right? We had to sit still to see what was happening to us in real time. You had to, you, you could not witness what happened to Amar Arbery. You could not not witness what happened to George Floyd. You saw it. We've been telling you this for many years. And now it's, oh my God, I can't believe this has happened. Well, where on earth have you been? We've been here arguing this same, or fighting the same fight for many, many years. But now you get to see it because you don't have a choice but to see it. Now the question becomes of you, what do you do about it? Not about what, not just about what I do. What's your response to it? Don't tell me, again, don't tell me you sympathize with us and right. you're hurt. You, you can't be more hurt than us. <laughs> no, you're right. not because you- Well, Marley, can it. I say this to you? Can I say yeah. this? That this is, this is my conversation with, with, um, um, with some of my white counterparts, and I even said in the sermon, that I'm kind of done talking about racism because racism isn't a black people's problem. It's not. If you want to end, if you want to end racism, then talk to the people that got the problem because talk they have the power to end it. In the right? mirror. Now, even if right. you're not racist, guess what? You reap the benefits of the racism. You reap the benefits of your white privilege. So guess what? That within itself would kind of make you racist and, and, and just in that particular perspective because you're reaping the benefits of it you are a product of what has become even before you to now saying oh, in a position of power where 
you're privileged to not see any of this because you choose not to see it. See, the, there are two definitions of the word ignorant, right? So that means to not know something at all, and it means to know and not care. A lot of people know, don't care. That's the bottom line. That's the ultimate truth to all of this. A lot of these people see that with, okay, well, all lives matter. Okay, well, when did we matter with you? We're not saying, to, to, let me break it down in essence, we're not saying we matter more, but we sure ain't saying we matter less. And the problem has been the less more than the more. You have looked at us as less than, as beneath you, as the, the crap on the ground that you walk on, not even value that much. You value dogs and pets more than you value our lives. The whole premise behind Black Lives Matter is to include us in it too. Because just to be frank, and you can you all are, you all are clergymen, you can tell me if I'm wrong about this. The Bible don't speak about white people in it. Last time I checked, I don't know the Bible. It's back and forth, just like neither one of you do, just like you guys do. But I do know. The first signs of life and civilization was in Africa, was in Egypt. Black people live in Egypt. And you can talk about 40, 50 years later now to now when we see white people appear in South Africa and, and they're considered Africans because you, you, you live there or you moved there or you probably was born there. That's fair, that's fine. But the first bones ever found in Egypt were of black descent, was of, of African descent. We can go on all day long about how Price had wool hair. We can talk about his, his bronze skin. We can talk about that. The Bible says that. But to use the Bible and not only misinterpret, but also utilize it in a sense of custom, just basically preaching your own version of it, does a disservice to the word itself. You're sitting up here taking words out of the Bible, not only misinterpreting, but you're sitting here and saying, well, this is what he meant. No, no, listen. Personally, I'm not in the business of interpretation. I'm not in business of insinuation. I'm not in business of trying to make out what somebody tried to say. I read and hear what they said. You can take it for face value all you want, or you can try to make up your own version of it. There's been too many versions of the Bible written anyway. Everybody has their own version now. So many books have been removed from the Bible. Again, this is what I know, and you all can contest to, to this, or you can re refute it and, and even correct me on it. But leading to my next point in regards to this pandemic, because we've had people using the, those spirits, having that spiritual or that religious response to why they're not wearing masks. Help me out. Uh, uh, Pastor Brown and Jason. The whole premise behind the Passover is to be in the house. God told you stay in the house, right? You sacrifice a lamb, sacrifice a sheep, if I'm not mistaken, to spread the blood across your door until the spirit of death passes over your house. That takes your firstborn son. The Bible said to stay in the house. 
you go to the pen, tell me God bless you with the mind, with the heart, with the soul, with the conscience, but without common sense. Oh, oh well, I, I don't wear masks because G, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Okay, that's fair. Most of us who believe in Christ are covered in it. But he also blessed us with common sense. But see, but see, the thing about common sense, I rephrase it now. It's called rare sense because everybody ain't, 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 ain't equipped with it. Everybody don't have it, which means it's rare. So you, you rarely find the sense in some people. Everybody ain't got it. I'm going to use it in black terms. Everybody ain't got it. That's the problem. My biggest issue with people using that as an excuse, as if the Bible didn't even tell you, even in Passover, you, you had to do certain things that God commanded of you to do to not die or not have your, your children die from something. The spirit of death passed over your house. When you were in the house, Tell me I'm wrong. Please, again, I'm, Jason, I want you to start off with this first because I'm, I'm just so taken back by how this pandemic has been politicized as well as religionized. We'll just use that word. I'm smart enough. I can just make up words right now. Yeah. Um, so to get to this point, let me, let me backtrack a little bit because um, I do agree that a lot that is happening with the pandemic has very much so been politicized uh and to to your word religiousized is that what you used yeah, yeah. <laughs> religiousized we're gonna make it up we're gonna, yeah, yeah. We're religiousized americanized these these are new <laughs> words that webster gonna have to put in his in the dictionary now yeah we're, and the, we're, the we're point smart is, black men we can make up words we, we can make up words right <laughs> um let, let's talk politics for a second right politics in and of itself is not inherently bad right Politics simply means the, the, the inaction of, of protocols and procedures, policy, to be able to, to set things in place and in order as the rule for how things are governed, right? Politics in, them, in and of themselves are not bad. However, it is the, the, it is the, 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 the people, the, 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 if you will, uh, the hearts of people who sit in positions of power that then taint politics to cause there to be this, this, um, this venom, if you will, within a lot of the political arena. And so what, what happens a lot of times is because politics are often so laced with this venomous, viperous stuff that is harmful, that's hurtful, that's killing us. Uh, when we take that and we inject it into certain things like the pandemic, social reform, whatever, and we begin to overly politicize things, what happens is that the venom begins to, to seep into the organization, the, the group, if you will, the platform, whatever, and it causes a lot of damage. Um, I think as it pertains specifically to, so let me say this first, when it comes to that, we can't fight this fight from the outside looking in. Uh, Bishop mentioned earlier about how we do need to be inside of certain arenas and certain areas to be able to, to be change agents because we can't, here's the deal, we, praying is great. I'm an advocate of prayer. We can pray, but after we pray, what do we do? And so one of the things that I found that is common amongst uh, the, 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 the religious circle, if you will, is that we will over spiritualize a thing 
and put all of the responsibility on God and on heaven yep. and take away our personal responsibility because we feel like all in his hands, God's got it all in his hands. All right. We, 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 we feel like God, here's the, here's the, here's the notion. And again, y'all are welcome to chime in your thoughts on this, but the, the idea is that God is in control. Yep. Here's what I get from the word. The Bible says in the beginning that God get when God made man, he gave man dominion and power over the earth, right? Yep. So my perspective is that when it comes to the earth realm, we are in control. And it's our job as those who have been given the responsibility of that, the, the things that happen in the earth to partner with heaven so that we grasp the will of God from heaven and we bring it to the earth. That's why when the disciple says, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Jesus said, pray like this. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our job as those who have power and dominion over the, the earth realm, the affairs of the earth, is that we are to partner with heaven so that the power of heaven hits us as individuals. And then from there, we begin to make the change. It puts the responsibility on us. Now the power is on God. We get the power from him. We get grace from him because we can't do in our strength what he can do in his. So that's where grace comes in. We receive this grace and it supernaturally supercharges us and gives us a superpower to be able to then infiltrate the earth the right way so that the kingdom of God, which is the government of God, begins to be infused into the different sectors in the earth. And one thing we've made a mistake of doing is in, in the church arena, we when we talk about purpose and calling and destiny, we, we try to make our purpose out to be a pastor, or oh, I'm the elder, or I'm the, the teacher, or I'm the, the deacon, and I'm all of these things that are common to church jargon, but we don't realize that sometimes our, our purpose is not always specific to doing a thing within a church community. That doesn't mean I'm not a part of the church. That doesn't mean I am not the church because I am the body of Christ, but there's a way to infuse the body of Christ into the earth realm. And one, one thing we got to do is we have to stop thinking church and we have to start thinking kingdom. There is Absolutely. a difference. When we, we think church, we, we, we minimize the power of God to a certain uh, uh, sphere. Yep. But when we allow the kingdom of God, which again is the government of God, to be the way that we operate, we can take that spiritual enhancement, that spiritual wisdom, that prudence, that guidance that comes from heaven, that's not earthly, that's not sensual, that's not uh, uh, fleshly, and we can then infuse it into politics. We can infuse it into, infuse it into social reform. We can infuse it uh, into, 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 into all different aspects and areas of, of, of society. We can hit the mountain of, of arts and entertainment. We can hit the mountain of, of religion. We can hit the mountain of, of, of politics and government. We can hit all these different mountains because we are not just thinking church, which is too small of a way to think. We are the church, but we don't do church. We are the church and we operate by the kingdom. So our job is to partner with heaven, receive the empowerment of heaven, and then find our way into these sectors to be able to change uh, the different areas. Now, I feel like I got off topic because I went somewhere. No, no, you, no, you did. No, no, you did not. You, you spoke about, you know what, and I would do my pastor a disservice if I didn't say this because I want him to know that I've been paying attention to him in church. Pastor Brown talks about this quite a bit in church. Okay. 
his favorite words is, well, I ain't talking to my church folk. I'm talking to my spiritual folk. And mm-hmm. ain't nobody up in here talking to me. I, I, he, he would just go on in his sermon talking exactly like that, Jason. So it's just funny how you brought that up because Pastor Brown preaches about this all the time, the difference between religion and spirituality. It's a very big difference because oftentimes, and this is not to, again, not to cast these versions on the older generation, but the older generation oftentimes always spoke about pray, pray, pray. I'm going to pray all this way. No, faith without works is dead. You have to do the work after you pray. You can't just sit back and wait for God to do every single thing for you and you not do nothing. Okay, now it's certain instances in the Bible that talks about standing still and being still and waiting for God to to basically flourish in his in his glory and you reap the benefits of the glory. But at the same token, you still have to be in within your power that he's given you, do your job and making sure that that that, that prayer does come into fruition. Right. So again, I I applaud you tremendously for that, Jason, for even bringing that point up because Pastor Brown oftentimes talks about that in church quite a bit. And yeah, I, I know he, he would probably point me out and, and, and embarrass me in church if I didn't say that. And I don't want him doing me like that because I, I'll just be just in shame. I would have my head down. Pastor, don't talk to me no more. Don't do me like that. So yeah, I really appreciate you saying that, Jason, because we at times like this, we do need that the, to distinguish the difference between the two. We oftentimes get so caught up in the building, but not in the building, in the community. We get caught up in the building that we actually formed in, the actual church building. But Christ did most of his work outside the church. And so those type of things need to be brought up quite, quite often because if we're not seeing the very things that we need to be actually being formed to change for, then we're never going to really get to a place where we say, okay, now okay, we don't have to wait another generation or I don't have to wait until I'm dead and gone to reap the benefits of these changes that actually come into fruition based on the, the work and the fight that I put in. We, sh- we should have to keep waiting for something to happen. We need to be making it happen within, within the realm and the, within the power that God has blessed each of us with to collectively come together and make those changes happen. And so, I, man, I really appreciate you for saying that. And this can, I, can I say this? Can I say yeah, this, Marlon? So yeah. You speak to uh, one of the scriptures about how the, the Bible says, you know, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, right? Um, but even to that point, for them to get to the point where God wanted them to stand still and watch God work, they previously had to do some work and be responsible to get to that place. That was them coming out of Egypt through the, 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 the past the Red Sea, God doing all of this stuff. And the Bible says that uh, they were being chased by the Egyptians, but they still, had to, they still had to have a mind to lead their oppressor. They still had to have a mind uh, to, to, to rank up. As the Bible says, they left out in orderly ranks to, to rank up and, and, and to be uh, uh, organized. They still had all of these different things that they had to do that, that the burden was placed on them to do. And in doing so, God brought them to a place where now, now he said, all right, now that you have come this far, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you just how much I can swallow up the enemy for you. You know, so it wasn't that God pacified them or babyfied them or just completely carried them all the way through without any work or responsibility on their end. God literally gave them a command through Moses. They were obedient to do what was required of them to do. And at this certain juncture, God swallowed up the enemy in the Red Sea. So he said, stand still and watch 
watch what I do. And that's when God's providence came. So we have to understand that there is this pairing between his grace, his strength, his might, and us being able to couple with God and partner with God so that we can as well do what we're required to do on the earth. We can't sit back. We can't be passive. We can't just watch it happen. We can't just put all the stuff on God. And, and then when stuff don't happen, say, well, God didn't do it. Or as you said earlier, why does God allow all this to happen? Well, what have you done? Yeah. What have you done to help resolve certain things in the earth? What have you done to help with the issues that are at hand? Are you putting all this on God or are you actually doing anything? As you said, faith without works is dead. Absolutely. Right. JC, yeah. uh, Marlon, could I just jump in real quick? Yeah. Because Jason preached, man. God, yeah. that was a wonderful sermon. Um, because Marlon's absolutely right. Our tagline when I got here to Marietta um, for greater community is bringing kingdom to community. Yep. You just nailed it. And so the other, the other issue, and I just want to raise this up in this conversation, and this is uh, sort of our own uh, in-house uh, critique that most black uh, religious uh, denominations, whatever you want to call them, but let me just, let me call it, unfortunately, it's called the black church, but there's a whole lot of churches that are walking out um, a slave mentality and not a kingdom mentality. Yeah. So what you just said that they had to get out of Egypt, they had to get to rank, they boom, 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 boom. And when they couldn't do anymore, then God stepped in and said, stand still. And so he does his thing. What we'll notice is every time that Israel was operating based upon the promise of God and they would do the work, there were always miraculous manifestations. When you get finished reading the Bible in their journey, I should say, when they get to the promised land, it's over. There are no more miracles. Ain't no more manna. There's no, there's no cloud that's set on fire at night because they've reached the promised land. Now you got to go conquer this. You got to conquer this. You got people that have been tending your land and holding up your spot. Now, the, now I'm giving the biblical piece of that, not yeah. the political piece, because then that's about colonialism. <laughs> so I want to get into that. But <laughs> I'm just making the point that yeah. he's saying that all the miracles stopped. And so we, we're still, as Jason said, and as you said, Mara, we have this tendency, when you start talking about why don't they stop killing us all this, we have a tendency to still kind of operate out of the slave motif not to leave the oppressor and then to be bought off the same stuff that happened in 1619 the same spirit is still evident in 2020 so we will you know and i, I refer to that movie uh django all the time you know yeah. when samuel jackson played the the head the head slave you know you know when 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 push came to shove he was on the cane, his, his character was on the cane, bent over. But when him and Jamie Lee Fox, who played Django, got together, he drops the cane and he straightens up. So you can play the cane. So the character is bent over and helpless in the, in the eye shot, in the presence of a master. But now the master's over and you're dealing one-on-one. -on -one. Now you're standing up. It, it is... 
it's more to it. And I know that we then probably blew blew your show open. And now no, you got to no, go no. and no, 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 no. Listen, but I'm I, just I, I take as much time as you want because this this is very vital information that we we need to put out here. And I and I hope I hope my listeners take what they will from this episode that we have the will to, to keep pushing on, but we have to again understand that we are, we are within God's power and the power that God gave us, we have to use in the most, in the most profound spiritual and positive way that we, that we can. And so and when Marla, we get to let, that let, point, yeah. then we right. have to stand still and, and watch him do his work. Yeah. But I, and I just want to, I'll, I'll close with this piece because Jason just laid out the whole kingdom to community strategy. But the, the other part is now we have a problem because I, and I thoroughly agree that you're right, Mara. That's all my stuff. That that the only reason for the church being in the earth is for us to be an extension of God. Yeah. So the only agenda we have is to take His kingdom and make it real here. Here's our problem: we got a whole lot of folk that just go to church, or don't even, they don't even go to church. They have no faith. They have nothing. And I'm talking about our own community. They don't know the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They don't read a book. They don't read history books. They read nothing. They're full of lightning. It's just raw emotion all over the place. And then when they want to get mad, they get mad at God. They get mad at the preacher. They get mad at the institution. And God ain't never done that for them. And then they go back into the lightning piece. So, you know, I would say not only people that criticize, you know, because they haven't voted. But I would also just tell a whole lot of church going black folk to shut up oh until God. you read the Bible. Shut up. Because you don't <laughs> even know what you're talking about. Just <laughs> shut up. Because oh. you're making Jesus look bad. Very, very much so. <laughs> and, and, and listen, it's so much again, so much we, information being put out there and you have so many people who want to have that attention, just just seeking that type of attention. They're they're basically welcoming the, the gullible minds of stupid people, and I hate to say it like that, but that's what it is. They're basically aiding to those people who would believe anything that any one person says without even checking the source for it. And I'm just like, wait, really? Because I'm even hearing certain Black people even talking about, well, uh, eight years of Joe Biden will be way worse than four years of Trump. I'm just like, have you been living on a rock or something? Like, uh, are you stupid or are you dumb? Which one is it? Because you can't be both. Uh, and that's me being nice about it. That's that's the polite version, Pastor. Again, I'm being worked on. <laughs> and I'm going to keep working on it, too, because I know I have to. But for the sake of just the whole ideology of understanding what truth really is versus what can be looked at as truthful, but you can see there's too many holes within that. That, that tells you this is not the right information to listen to. We have to get into this consistency where the right information is being put out there to our people and all these other opinions, uh, you can keep that. Don't say nothing because you putting that wrong information out is very hurtful and detrimental to what we're trying to do. And, and speaking of that, because my last question is even in regards to that. And this is somewhat me being facetious, but also being serious about this. Because we've been seeing a lot of a lot of these black clergymen and women going up to the White House, putting their hands over Trump, claiming they praying for him, claiming that they're 
blessing his life and all this other stuff. It's just a parade. It, it, it's sickening to me. It sickens me to the core that you would sit here and just act out. Just, you're basically putting on a show. You, you're not, you don't mean any of this. And then for Trump to say, well, I have nothing to, to uh, repent about. I've done nothing wrong. I, I've done everything right. It, everyone knows it. Everyone says I'm doing a great job. Everyone loves it. Really? Really? And to have a black person, I don't know if you heard of this man, in, in Akron, Ohio, um, what is this guy? What is this pastor's name? And I'm sorry for saying this, but if anyone is still in, in his congregation, they're being led by a false prophet. They're being led by a fool and a moron. Uh, I think his name is Darnell Scott, if I'm not mistaken. So he's the one who said that Trump was the most pro-black president in our lifetime. And he also said that he talked to the gang leaders of Chicago and they only want to talk to Trump. But then the very next day, he got on the radio laughing about him lying that he talked to the black gang leaders of Chicago. And he said he lied about it. So you think this is funny? You think at a time like this, to make such a sensationalist claim like that, it's not hurtful to our community. So the gang leaders will talk to you before they talk to Obama or, or before they talk to Bishop uh, Jeremiah Wright or even my bishop, at, my pastor at home, Pastor T.O. Barrett Jr., who is of Life Center Church of God in Christ in Chicago. They would talk to you before they talk to any of them and you all the way in Ohio. And then you laughed and lied, and lied about it. I need to know from you two profoundly strong voice black men of Christ. What are your thoughts about just how much of a, an act, in lack of a better word, that these clergymen and women have been bestowing on Christ's word, the church, and, and how they've been taking advantage of the black community? Because Dr. Uh, Pastor Darnell Scott also had events during the month of December leading up to President, President Trump's campaign and President's uh, elect, election to basically sway Black people to support Trump and, and, and get some, some kind of monetary gain in return for it. So you're pimping out our people for their vote and support of this man. How? I, I need to know how, just how personally and just spiritually, if you can even divulge spiritually, how you feel about this, because they're making a mock of the very things that you, you two black men are doing in the communities by sitting here and acting this out and parading around like a bunch of, what's the, uh, what's the animal that, that's in the Bible, obviously. Okay, I'll just say it, a jackass, basically. I mean, that's the only term I'm going to use this whole entire episode. They're making a mock, a uh, full mockery of spirituality and religion in general by parading around like this. Pastor Brown, please tell me what are your thoughts about this? Man, I thought you were going to ask Jason first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> let me say this. Um, this, so, so my thoughts are this. Um, first of all, I realize that being black is not monolithic. So um, 
it would be wrong to suggest that because um, there are uh, black people who are in various different political, wearing different political stripes are right, wrong, or indifferent. That, that's their political preference. Um, what's interesting is when I look at the Bible is that Judaism uh, had the Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes in them. So everybody's got their, everybody's got their crew, <laughs> you know? Um, and then uh, look at Jesus. Jesus has to live between John, who is uh, loyal to him, and Judas, who is betraying him. So Jesus really shows us, really in that particular piece, that you, you've got to just stick with what's right. You got Peter, who denies him. So Peter, Peter don't know who he is in a tough time. <laughs> Judas is selling him out because Judas, because somebody got to Judas. And there's always somebody getting to somebody, you know? And so that's been our culture. So to, to I'm, I, you know, their, their, their personal preference is their personal preference. I think we need, we need, we need them in the Republican Party the Green Party, the Conservative Party, the Independent Party, the Democratic Party. We need them all over because again, now my only problem is that if we stick with what Jason said and we're all on the same agenda, then we get to bring kingdom to community. We really get to transform the earth. The problem is that's not what we're doing. And like you said, certain people buy certain people off. Now watch this, it's happening in politics. It happens in corporate America right where they will they, they will take a single black person or whoever and promote them and then say look we got one of them and then the you know training I, of all things right right so it's diversity but it's not inclusion right mm -hmm. and so then uh, i had to deal with it um as uh as uh special assistant to the mayor at that time no i was vice president of the local development corporation for the city and uh, I had black council members coming after me because I worked for a white mayor. Now the black mayor was still a council member. And when he decided, cause we were in our fourth, we were going to run for our fourth term. And when the black council member decided to run for mayor, that's when I resigned because I was not going to be put out there to be pitting myself in a community that I'm leading against stopping the first black mayor of the city of Buffalo. So, you know, God worked that thing out. I'm just simply saying that everybody's always got their crew. So these, these people that were around, uh, that went to the White House and that per person you're referring to, and I don't know him personally, so I can't speak to it, but when I keep hearing and seeing all this stuff, and then the problem is for me, I've never heard of like a gazillion of these people. Just <laughs> <laughs> so I, they have. Oh my God. So when you when you start trying to say, well, where's the tracker? Who are they connected to? Who are they in authority? Who who if they're in authority, are they under authority? Are they under any authority? Is there any legitimacy to the episcopacy? Is there any legitimacy to? And so I'm a legitimate. I. I'm I'm legit. I ain't jack leg. So when when you get what you get. So I'm gonna just leave that there. But I, I think that you know everybody's had everybody has their crew. Just, and, that's his. And you know what? To that point too, Pastor Brown. I want to also add this name to this. And I took personal offense to this to this particular person, uh, 
Bishop Mark Burns, who's out there in South Carolina. Never heard of him either. Uh, he, see, just like Trump with that narcissistic mindset, see, he lied about the lie that he lied about, right? So, and he kept lying about it. So Mark Burns sat here, was on CNN. He, he did a, uh, just last year, I believe, or two years ago, he, he did an exclusive interview with one of the CNN analysts who's a black man. Uh, and a black man went down the list of things that he was actually doing. He actually has a congregation no, no bigger than my living room because I think he, he does his certain, and this is not, again, not to cast any aspersions. No, this is li literally the case. His congregation is in the house, in some, some house in South Carolina. So he, he came out of this, off the, on the scene out of nowhere being a, 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 a huge Trump supporter, right, and, and advocating for him at the Republican convention and all that good stuff. So reports came out asking the question, who is this person? So they started looking at his website. So a list of things came, came to question that he couldn't necessarily confirm or, or deny, but it was already confirmed. He said he was a member of Kappa Alpha Psi, which I am a member of the most prestigious black fraternity in the history of the world. I'm, I'm gonna say that, you know, I won't even go that far with it. Let's leave it at that. He lied about that. He said that he started the process. It was a brother who is a Republican uh, who actually looked him up in our international headquarters. And national headquarters has every person who's ever placed in the fraternity, full name and all. There was no Mark Burns, no Bishop Mark Burns, no, no variation of the sort in our international headquarters list. So he said he started the process, which he didn't. He said he also graduated from a school, which he didn't. He also said he was a part of the military, which he was part of the, um, I want to say the National Guard for a couple of years. Then he got discharged. He said he was actually part of the reserves uh, for, for eight years or something like that. So he listed all these different lies that came about. And he, he told the guy, well, listen, I said, well, we would have this interview off the record and I was gonna like, clarify some things, but obviously you looked at my old website and it was manipulated. It was like, oh, wait, wait, it's either old or it's manipulated. Which one is it? I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to sabotage my, assassinate my character because I'm a, 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 a strong black Trump supporter and I have a mind of my own. See, what gets me about these conservatives, right? And I don't wanna put anybody in political boxes, but this is what they call themselves these days. You sit up here and tell me because you're a, a black Republican, but can't give me any, any definitive reason as to why you are claiming that you're a free spirit or you're a free thinker, but you can't give me any legit reason as to why you are one. But you claiming you're a free thinker just because you're a Republican. So you think we're being manipulated or we're being, we, we're being controlled by the Democratic Party. So the Democratic Party is the only party that has racist people in it. So the Republican Party, no one is racist there. They're conservative. The term conservative, conserving, which is keeping things the same, which benefits them. Liberal or whatever term you want to use also just, it's, it's the complete opposite of that, which basically says progressive, actually. So the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's a, she's a strong progressive. I have, I'm great. I'm quite fond of her, of her approach because she wants to see things progressively move forward and get better. The Republican side, because it's been working for them all this time, why fix something that's not broke, right? From their perspective. So to have a person like Mark Burns get up there and talk so highly of Trump and then 
only get out about about his lies. I'm like, dude, do, do, are you really putting yourself out here like this to to go this hard for this man? And yet you've lied about a number of things. See, this is this is us doing this to ourselves, right? We we sitting up here. We have so many bad representations of black people, just embarrassing us. It, it, it's a complete and utter embarrassment to see how the, the just the limps and the just how low people would sleep and go to just show, oh, I'm a free thinker. I think for myself, I'm going to do this. And the Democrats are bad people and Republicans are good. Really? Okay. They're good and bad on both sides. You want to be frank about it. But to sit up here and say that this man is the most pro-Black person of our lifetime. He's done more for Black people. I mean, listen, I, I'm tired of the lies. Okay. Don't put God in that. God didn't tell you to lie about that. Don't you dare sit up here and tell nobody that God told you to say that. Because we're, we're having so many conversations about people saying that too. And even uh, Reverend uh, John Gray, I believe, who's also in South Carolina or North Carolina, he sat right next to Trump and said, well, God told me to come here. But your wife, who God blessed you with, told you not to go. So you ain't listened to the woman that God blessed you with and told you not to go. You say, no, 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 God told me this. This is an old story about my grand. My grandfather told me this old story a long time ago about a man drowning in the water and it was a man on the boat coming to save him. He said, no, no, I'm okay. God is coming to get me. Another man comes with a bigger boat. Try to save, try to rescue the guy. Threw, threw him a life jacket. He didn't take it. He said, no, God is coming to save me. The man drowned. He died. He goes to heaven. He said, God, why didn't you save me from this? God said, well, I sent three people down to you. What else did you want me to do? So for, 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 for Pastor Gray to say something like that, only to basically ignore all the signs God told you to not go, because you, you reap no benefits from going. You, you didn't even get a word in edgewise talk, uh, sitting right next to him. You, he used you as a prop. As a photo op, you wore a pawn on his chessboard, and he don't even know how to play chess. So that lets you know that the reason for you going served no purpose because you got no word in, nothing changed, nothing came about what it is that you actually thought you were intending to go for. So again, shows like this, I'm not only celebrating Black excellence and acknowledging those who are on the front lines making a, a tremendous difference in our communities. But I'm also going to point out those who are detrimental to our cause. I'm going to do that. And I think it's, it's only fair and only right that I do that because those same people who are out here still trying to advocate to have us basically be included in their agenda, they have a personal agenda aside from the, the grand agenda, right? And they're pushing off their agenda, passing it off as the agenda for the community. You're lying to people. And I'm not going to allow you to keep doing that. So, Jason, I want to know from you, just your thoughts on just some of these pastors who have taken their time to sit next to this guy who says he's committed no sin. <laughs> and they're praying for him. Oh, he's, he's such a religious man. Really? You're going to lie like this to people. I, it, it sickens me. And I know as religious or as spiritual as you men are, I know you're holding back emotions. I know you want to say more than what you want to say. Pastor Brown, I know he says a lot more than this. But I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I want to know from you, Jason, just exactly what are your thoughts and feelings about this? Like, are you disgusted with this or are you not surprised? 
Um, I'm not surprised. I'm sorry I loaded you with this question and, and, yeah, yeah, and it's, gave it's, it to uh, you. I like mean, this. man, you, you, it's, you know, big. Listen, I hold no punches on this show because I feel it's only right that because people are oftentimes asking these same questions, yeah. having these same concerns I have. So I would be doing them a disservice if I didn't ask these questions. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, I, I am not surprised uh, because there's nothing new under the sun. This is not new. This is the same cycle of the same stuff that's been happening for forever. It's so it doesn't surprise me. Um, now, is a lot of it disgusting? Uh, yes, I won't speak to specific things because I, I, you know, I don't know enough detail to speak to those to specifics. But I can say this: um, there's always how do I put this? There's always the diversity higher, right? There's always the let, let's bring someone in on the diverse side that can be the representation uh, on in our organization for our agenda. Uh, and, and this person will essentially be the face of a people that we may not be able to reach uh, in whole. With that being said, when, especially when it comes to politics, um, when we think about Let's, let's, let's say this. When we think about the people who gathered around uh, President Trump, the laying on of hands, I can't speak to their motives. I don't know. You know, I, I would hope that some are, you know, legitimately like, hey, because you, you have to, in order to be able to, to, to affect change again, enact change, we have to be in a thing, right? So maybe there are those who are there that are legitimately and genuinely like, hey, let me like, be here and pray for this man. Let me do whatever. And then you got those who are there for the sake of optics, right? I want to be here. I want to be seen. I want to be in the camera. It's going to bring some notoriety, some attention, some whatever. And, and then oftentimes what happens is you become the laughing stock of a thing that you thought you would actually benefit from. Yep. Um, I, there, there are a number of, of people, I'll say like this, we're talking, you know, we're speaking candid, right? So let's, let's take Kanye, for example, right? Musically, um, Kanye is is a genius. Like I, I love what he's able to put out musically. I love you know yeah. lyrically what he does. Um, I did. I, I did. <laughs> you know, um, politically, I personally don't stand with Kanye, right? Um, but I'm able to know how to separate what I like about his lyrics and what I like about him musically to what I may not agree with politically. Now, is there a war from a spiritual person, right? Is, you know, is there a war? There's a war, absolutely. There is this war between, yo, do I put his music on play? And, you know, he out here saying what he's saying and doing what he's doing. I so can't there anymore, is, Jason. I, I can't. I, you you, my, you cut it my, off, right? My, my conscience and my heart won't yeah. let me do it anymore. Because he, he said too much. Yes, he sir. He said entirely too much, and I, and I can't defend. And I, and I can't even fathom for the life of me how he can even muster that much of courage to disrespect our ancestors who of course died for him to even be here to have a stupid opinion like that but and, 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 and so that war that happens is because listen i you know my my my, my kids especially to the you know jesus is king or whatever the last album was they were listening to it you know they know the lyrics whatever you know and then of course he goes into and we understand too that you know there are some uh mental things there that that have come out or whatever the case yeah. may be and so with all of this kind of expression of his you know love for trump and other things that uh pertain to the black community and etc 
now I have to reconstruct some of the things I allowed even in my home as a yep. result of this. So I'm saying all that to say that there's now this war between, you know, what I may like or what I may per prefer my preferences versus on the political end, what are like completely like, no, we can't do this. This is where the lines cross. This is that. Um, to the point that they're going to always be, again, the diversity hires. They're going to be the people that are put in place to supposedly represent our people and on that side of the field. And again, that's not saying that Black people aren't conservative or Republican right. or whatever the case may be, because I believe that, you know, again, there's, like you said, there's good and bad on in all spectrum, independent, wherever you fall, there's yep. good and bad everywhere. Yep. Um, we just have to be mindful here as a people we have to understand this about us as black people one thing i in just my my kind of investigation of uh, of our people i've learned that our people as a whole suffer from trauma and a part of the trauma obviously comes from slavery and and what happened so many years ago and etc yeah. ptsd is definitely <laughs> real PTSD is definitely real. Yes, all of that stuff I think is sometimes bubbles in our blood, and it's 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 sometimes a thing that we it's generational traits that we carry and things that yeah. we you know that that we have, and so as a result, result sometimes our innate rejection will show up, and so when there is a, a, a person paraded around on the political arena that's supposed to represent us, sometimes our rejection makes us gravitate to certain, certain people because, because we are rejected as a people sometimes. Sometimes we, we're gullible as a people, and so whatever is presented before us, sometimes we, we bite. We eat, we take it. We're like, okay, there are, obviously this is not for everybody, but, but as, a, as a general consensus, the other side knows that we're gullible sometimes. And yep. the other side knows that on that. can they be on that. very much that we're, that we're dealing with trauma. And so what they do is that they, they, they feed off of it and they leverage that to be able to push their agenda, knowing that they, number one, are who helped put us in this position of trauma. And then now that we're here and we're fearful and we're dealing with trauma and we're hurting and all of this, now let me get gain off of that by yep. doing whatever I do. So there's so many different layers of this thing as it, it pertains is. to who represents us and who should and shouldn't, whether they are in the church or not. It is so many layers. And I think what will be helpful is that as a people, if we start really dealing with our trauma, that will help us to not be as gullible and not so be so easily swayed into just yep. believing whatever is put out there for us to believe. Yeah, absolutely, man. I completely agree with that. And the knowing that that's the worst, but that's the classic form of bait and switch when you put a person, when you oppress the people and then you benefit off their oppression. Yep. The, the, the most classic form of bait and switch that we've ever seen. And so, from that standpoint, I, I completely appreciate your take on that. Um, to usually, when I conclude uh, an episode, uh, I usually include something with a segment I call "I'm finna cuss," but I'm not going to do that this episode because <laughs> this episode has brought so much spiritual enlightenment to me, and I'm hoping to my listeners and followers of this show that I would like to close this episode in a word of prayer, and I would much rather leave it up to you gentlemen to who, whomever would like to lead us in this prayer obviously pastor brown you being 
the the elder of the of this particular conversation. I would much love to see that uh, you you know basically pray us out and, and um, we conclude the uh, episode. And I really appreciate you gentlemen for being on this show. Uh, again, it's been personally helpful for me, and I'm hoping that others who listen to this episode gain some type of just spiritual leverage from where we where we are to where we can stand still and, and but do our work moving forward and uh in, in our communities so again from the bottom of my heart i really appreciate you guys and your take on it and i'm hoping to have a part two of this too and i want to you know obviously bring in more clergy black men into this particular conversation because i know having a broader perspective is going to help us zone in on just the 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 meat and potatoes of the issues that we have to attack one by one because there are some things that we need to attack right now versus some things that we can attack later on in, in in the long run but there are some immediate things that need to be tended to this very moment and so hoping we can bring some more light shed up shed some more light on that and bring some more people in uh their perspective um pastor brown if you would like to lead us in prayer uh, Really Arlen, I want to say uh, thank you again for the invitation and thank you for the robust uh, conversation. Uh, it, it's been provocative um, and it has been multifaceted, very complex. Uh, Jason, it is a pleasure, man, meeting you through this medium and sharing this time on the show. You are, you provide for um, our church hope. And I praise the Lord that you that you are positioned and serving in that part of the vineyard. And I pray blessings upon your life, your family, uh, and your ministry. Thank you so much for all that you do. Uh, let's pray. Father, how grateful we are to be in your presence. Um, thank you for um, not cutting us from um, the same bolt, but Lord, weaving us into the same project. I pray now for all of the things that we've discussed that you will give to us your eternal peace and that you will equip us to partner with you to actually bring kingdom to community. I pray in our spheres of influence that you will cause us to inspire others, not to just have relationship with you, but to begin a partnership a partnership with you to change the world. I pray today, Lord, for pastors. And since Marlon has brought us here, and this is October, the a month of appreciation for pastors, I pray for leaders, Lord. I pray for pastors that are overwhelmed. I pray for those that are despondent, disconnected. I pray for the dysfunctional ones, for the spiritually deaf ones. I pray for those that are not called to pastoring, but the hirelings. I pray, God, that you will recirculate and replace them, and you'll find a space, Lord, in the world for them, but not in this venue. I pray, God, that even while pastors must pivot and pastoring in a pandemic, I pray that you just overwhelm us with the wisdom of God. I pray that you continue to build a firewall between our emotions and our spiritual convictions. And Lord, may, may every thought that is not yours be arrested and may it come into submission to the purpose for which you have called us. I pray that you will ordain, Lord, um, pathways forward that we might move powerfully in the things that you've called us to. I pray for Marlon and I, I pray, God, for his family. 
I pray God for his future. I pray for his active voice. Thank you, God, for his voice in the conversation that is provoking thought, that's stimulating us to move forward. And I pray, Lord, for those that we have discussed. I, I pray for our white brothers and sisters. I pray for the church as a whole. Uh, I know that there is no white church and no black church. We're just the church. But Lord, in these social contexts, I pray, God, for our customs and our cultures. And I pray, God, that our culture will stop killing our Christ. Move by your hand and make ways for them. Bless these listeners that they not only just be provoked, but God, and excited and insighted to do something, but move them to action that we might literally bring heaven to earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, man. I, I thank you all. I thank you both for this. I, I've been <laughs> holding back emotions even during this episode because I, I just, again, being so overwhelmed with everything that's going on, I just, I'm just trying to find a way to help the masses any way that I can and, and utilizing my voice uh, as influence to not only bring us together spiritually, but bring us together you know, socially too, in, in the sense of understanding that we all have a part to play in this. And if we're not all doing our part and, and being monolithic, then we're never going to make it to that promised land that we spoke about. And I just want us all to get there. No, no matter how we get there, we get there. So, uh, again, thank you all. Uh, I definitely will be in touch, you know, just reaching out, obviously checking on you all. Um, and uh, hope that you guys are staying safe and sanitized in, a, in, a, in the midst of all of this that's going on, this pandemic. It's not letting up. It seems that way. And, and we're, we're just right underway with flu season. So uh, the uh, prayers and thoughts to your families, making sure that you guys stay safe and stay secure. And uh, yeah, I'll be reaching out to you again soon. And hopefully we can have a part two to this. Absolutely. Man, this is this thank is, you, man. This has been great. I appreciate the both of you all, Bishop. It's absolutely great to meet you uh, and to just hear your wisdom uh, and the thoughts that you've shared. I I I soaked it in just like any of uh, the listeners of the podcast. So thank you for that, Marlon. Man, thank you for again being the channel for these kinds of conversations to happen. Um, and man, listen, be encouraged through it. You know, I know you said you took a break because it was kind of overwhelming. A lot was going on and a lot is going on and you're entitled to your emotions, you know, so feel them, you know, they're real that, they, you know, yeah. they don't push them down. Don't push them to the side, feel those things because those emotions are necessary uh, to just help you process through uh, this entire thing. So man, just be encouraged. Uh, I know, you know, I'll be praying for you. Uh, and listen, I just, again, I appreciate you for the opportunity to be able to share with your listeners. Yeah. Again, love and appreciate you guys, man. And, uh, definitely we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. Yes, sir. All right. You guys have a good day. Okay. All right. Take care. All right. Bless thanks. You.